Hi there. Welcome to Creation Station Monthly. I'm Bob from Creation Station. This is the monthly show, I know, duh, that we go about 45 minutes to an hour talking to two strangers about a topic that they're really passionate about. Today, we're talking about XR. And I know you're like, Bob, you just made up that word. And yeah, kind of we did. But it's not just me who made it up. It's professionals in the field. So we've got two very fun people here today. Denise, how are you doing today? Great. How are you? Thank you very much. And Tori Smith here also with us. How are you doing today, Tori? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. So as always, we're going to let our two guests talk to each other I'm going to just feed in a few questions to get them started. Denise, fill us in. Who in the world are you and what is XR to you? Okay. So I am an engineer. I am in Florida. I've been, um, I'm actually a product of the South Florida public school system. Lived in Florida the majority of my life. I went to school at FIU and, uh, and UF. I studied electrical engineering. And kind of in my 25 years in industry, I've always been in like Fortune 500 companies from Motorola. Well, Magic Leap was not a Fortune 500 company, but I was at Motorola for 15 years shipping every cell phone, every new cell phone. Like, oh, this cell phone has a camera. Okay, let's figure out from a systems level, how do we manufacture, create, and test this? And oh, this one has GPS. What the hell is GPS? And oh, E911? So when someone dials 911, you got to send a location. Okay, how the heck do we validate that that works? Oh, what the hell is Android? You know, and how, how does that, how do you bring that into the consumer space? So I've always been at the edge of technology in a kind of hardware, software space of mobile devices, mobile computers. I joined a startup in 2015 called Magic Leap. They're also a local startup. Their, their headquarters is in Plantation on Central Boulevard and University. And when I joined them, I'm like, I don't know what you're doing, but everyone tells me that it's like cutting edge technology and you're manufacturing it and it's all done here and I want in. And then when I put a headset on, because <laughs> I didn't yeah. know what it was, I was like, I was like what is this? This is, it's, it's, this is like yeah, science yeah. fiction. This is like, this is Iron Man. This is like Minority Report. This is like all these science fiction movies I'd ever seen in my life. Like, no, this stuff isn't real. Uh, and so I was there for six years. Um, and then in 2020, I joined Microsoft, also working on their mixed reality team. I have a HoloLens here that I play with on a daily basis. And so mixed reality or XR, XR is a spectrum of digital layers in your physical world or digital layers in a virtual world. Um, and it's the merger of those two things. So augmented reality is one layer. Mixed reality is another layer where you can actually interact with the objects. There can be sentient about your space and your environment. They're spatially located. Um, and then you have the virtual reality, which is your whole entire world is digitized, but you can walk around it and interact with it uh, similarly to mixed reality, and but that's Tori. kind of like where I work. Yeah. So I've been that in awesome. XR for 10, 10 years now. Yeah. yeah. Tori, tell us all about You work for a company that's like deeply involved in this also. Tell us about it. Tell us about who you are and how you got there. Sure. Yeah. So uh, thanks again for having me on. Uh, my name is Tori. I am also an engineer by training. I studied mechanical engineering in school and the first uh 
couple places I worked were all on automotive technologies. So I, I worked at an automotive uh, supplier called Delphi that's now Aptiv. Yeah. I worked at Ford Motor Company for a couple of years before jumping over to a startup to work on self-driving cars. Um, I grew up in Detroit. So you're all these names are yeah. just like, yeah, yeah, this is exactly who everybody yep. works for. Uh, and then in uh, 20, early 2018, I made the jump over from thinking about sensors and maps for vehicles to thinking more about sensors and maps for people. So I spent the next three years working at Mapbox, which is a developer platform for location. Uh, and then about three years after that, I joined Niantic. Uh, and then here at Niantic, I work on our visual positioning system, which is basically a way of connecting uh, anything you want to build in AR to locations in the physical world. So for me, I uh, completely agree with everything Denise said about XR. Uh, what I'm most passionate about is sort of the AR side of that spectrum. Um, our CEO often talks about connecting atoms to bits. Uh, and that's exactly what we're focused on here is basically taking any type of experience you want to build and make that experience a location based experience. So like giving really rich uh, and immersive meaning to physical locations and being able to layer on whatever kind of content you want into the physical world in a way that can be shared with other people. That is an awesome thing that now it, you also kind of buried Niantic does a fairly big uh, media property also that other people may not be aware of, which is. Uh, yes, yeah, so we have multiple games uh, here at Niantic. So we have Pokemon Go, uh, which is, uh, I think, still the largest uh, location-based mobile game ever made um, mm -hmm. with tens of millions of players. Uh, we also just recently launched another game called uh, Monster Hunter Now from the Monster Hunter franchise. And then we have games like uh, Peridot, we have game uh, Ingress, and uh, Pikmin Bloom. So that we have a whole bunch of games out there with tens of millions of players spread across those titles that interact with and like have game experiences that are tied to physical locations. Um, very much like the mission of our company has always been to inspire people to explore the world together. So like really connecting those locations to game experiences uh, very much as part of the main game loop. And the other the other part of the, the, the company that I work on is, is turning that into a platform that creators and developers can use. Okay. As Denise's uh, connection is bouncing in and out and she'll be back with us in a second here. But so Tori, tell, tell us about when you were a kid, mm -hmm. what were you doing that you that made you feel like I'm cre this is where I'm going to go? Because obviously, none of us, all of us existed before XR even mm -hmm. was a real thing. So what was it that, got, that you were doing that was creative as when you were a kid? I mean, were you eating dirt? I mean, were playing mud pies? What was it that you were, maybe you were dancing? I don't know. Mm -hmm. What were you doing creatively that led you onto this? Oh, wait, I have an idea. Yeah, so uh, great question. So for me, I think it all started with drawing, uh, drawing and, and building things, I think is how I ended up being an engineer. Um, specifically, like I think my earliest memories were playing with like train sets, playing with Legos, playing with connects, uh, and being able to model out and build physical objects. Uh, and then very quickly after that, I got really fascinated with maps. Uh, so I love games as well. And any game that has a map component, whether that's something like Risk uh, or like Diplomacy um, or like a, a computer game like Civilization or SimCity, like all of those games always fascinated me the most. Did you ever play Diplomacy, Denise? 
I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> it's, like, oh, it's, it's a great, great. it's really a great fun. game yeah. to make enemies with. Yeah. It's yeah. so yeah. it's a it's a crazy crazy game. Well, that, that that not our topic of conversation. I have to do gaming again one of these days. So mm -hmm. Denise, tell us what were you doing when you were a kid down here in South Florida? What was it that you were being creative with before you had a chance to express it with this kind of stuff? Uh, I I guess I don't know. I like I could follow instructions. I like to build things whenever my mom would go and buy something. It's like, oh, look, we got a fan. Let's go put it up and put it together. I'd steal my brother's Legos and his Transformers because Good. when I was growing up, I mean, girl toys were just ugh. like there was yeah. just like Barbie and she doesn't bend her legs. She can't sit normally. Like she, she just, she just stands there. And it's like, what can, and I tried cutting her hair once and it didn't grow back. <laughs> it's like, this toy's no good. And then my brother had these transformers, which were amazing. Like it's a robot and it can sit and like articulate and like you can turn him into a microscope or into a cassette player or into a truck. And it was like, this is, and like figuring out how you put him back together. I just, I love that stuff. Uh, I don't know if that like set me on the path that I that I'm on. I know that I like problem solving. I like math a lot. I I found math particularly easy. All you had to do was really practice the problems until you kind of just understood a pattern. And once you got the pattern, then you could just repeat that pattern over and over again. And uh, my dad was an engineer. So he's like, and he was a horrible engineer. Like he was the engineer that went into sales and did amazing. Uh, you know, but he could do the math. He like, he, he, he said, Denise, engineering teaches you one thing and that's how to solve problems. And everything is a problem. You go from a big problem to a smaller problem to a smaller problem. Did you just throw balloons out, Tori? Not, not knowingly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wow, those balloons are so cool. That's so cool. Um, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> so for me, it was more of a, I, I studied, I, I went into engineering because I liked to solve problems and I like to, I like a lot of breath things. I'm not like one niche area, like Tori with maps, kudos to him, like that he identified that he loved maps and like, that's what he's doing. And I mean, from map, uh, from map box to Niantic, it's like, oh, that's like, that's a perfect transition for you. I mean, like you were at Ford and working on cars and, and it's like, this is like, you're just you're just following the thing that you found passion in, and I kind of I kind of fell backwards into it. I just know that I like learning new things, a lot of new things, because I get bored easily, and I have like a really short attention span. Like I'm the person that has, I do watercolors and sewing and welding and pottery and, uh, you know, just name name okay, a craft. Okay, wait, 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 wait. welding. Yeah, and soldering. Like I'll make like. Okay, okay. soldering I can oh, soldering is a really good uh, welding's a little bit farther out there in the engineering field than it's I was expecting well, to come it's sculptural or okay, you can make okay, sculptures okay. and put things okay, together okay. it's like anything that you can build with like it's just bigger kinds of Legos for adults <laughs> okay then um tell us Tori what what do you and you guys feel free to interrupt each other and and ask these things my question for you is when People hear, oh, you work at Niantic. Is it that they immediately think, oh, you do games? Or is it that, oh, you're a computer engineer? And what do you think? What does people actually think when you, when you're, they first in, in, meet you about that? Yes. Yeah. So great, great question. Um, I think uh, Pokemon is uh, definitely the 
the hottest sort of um, like search engine optimization word and all the things that Niantic does is just such an, a massive intellectual property that stretches across every single aspect of life. Like there's cards, there's movies, there's games, um, both physical and digital. Um, and uh, that's definitely like an enormous part of what we do. And it's it's really interesting. That's kind of like created the foundation. of what, what do you, how does it affect you? Yeah. So how it, how it affects me is in order to build that game, we had to build our own platform to support it. Um, and now what I'm focused on is like taking all the lessons we learned from building that game and our other games and figuring out how can we turn those into tools that any AR developer, any AR creator can use to build their own thing, whether that's I want to build an exhibit at a museum that comes to life, or I want to augment a statue, or I want to create a, a walking guide of my city. Um, so these are all like different, different versions of that. Uh, but if you look at how most people in the world today are, effect, are affected by Niantic, it's probably through one of our games, not through yeah. our developer platform, because we're in the very early days. How about that, Denise? Because, I mean, obviously, Microsoft, big, huge company that does the same sort of thing for developers. How do those, how do you two interact, I guess? Not that you individually interact and know each other, but how does that interact when you're working at a company like this? One of the questions I always ask is, you know, how do you make this into a career? And you guys are both high up in your careers doing this and working for big major corporations. How do you interact on something like that versus the traditional corporate secret cloak and dagger thing? Like, do you guys have to like go sign an agreement and say, oh, wait, I talked to this other person now and I got to go confess or what? Uh, so let me start with the career. Cause I think there's like a couple of top themes there. Go for it. Uh, so starting with the, how do I turn this into career? And it, it's kind of like, I fell into it. I know that I liked playing with new things. I know that I like learning and I'm, I, I especially like working in spaces where few people understand what is going on because like I have like that imposter syndrome where it's like I feel really stupid and like even at Microsoft on a daily basis I feel really stupid um, because I don't know what we're doing like I say that I don't know what we're doing I do know but I'm solving problems that there is no Google search or Bing search for and so I'm happy that there is no Google search or Bing search or somebody's like oh Denise well you just got to do this this and this and it's like well, I just feel stupid because I didn't know that. Now it's like, I can't Google it. No one knows the answer to it. I get to go figure it out. And then I feel better about it because I don't feel so, I don't feel so alone or, or I don't feel like I'm, I'm, oh, that's, there's no words for this. I don't feel incompetent at my job. I feel incompetent at my job if other people know how to do my job. But if no one knows how to do my job, that's good. I feel better about it because then, <laughs> anyways. So I kind of fell into it, like being in that space where nobody has answers and just kind of pushing, you know, well, what is GPS and how the heck does this, how do we, how do we make this commercial or what is, what, what is mixed reality or how do you, how do you bring mixed reality into a classroom, you know, and, and, and figuring out the, the challenges there or even into the library. You yeah. know, I know yeah. we've had conversations about this, uh, Bob. Uh, so, so that's one that's like, that career aspect of it. My career is really solving problems and I could do this in any space, right? It's those, those 
growth mindset, higher order thinking skills. I don't know the answer, but I can learn, I can research, I can experiment, I can, you know, use the scientific method to figure things out kind of thing. Um, and you had another topic about secret espionage. And yeah, and when I joined, when I was interviewing at Microsoft, it was, you can't talk to any about it, about this. You can't tell anybody. Like I had to sign an NDA before I put my head through the glasses. I was, I interviewed for a job that I didn't even know what I was going to be building. Yeah. <laughs> it was one of those other people I trust are here and they absolutely love it. So the fact that I love, you know, these people are great. I know they're not doing something nefarious, so this is going to be a good place for me to work, but I still don't know what they're doing there. And it was kind of very cloak and daggers in, in the early days at, at Magic Leap in like 2015, 2016. So there's still cloak and daggers in, in any industry, right? And there's, I'm sure there's, Tori has cloak and dagger stuff that he's working on with Eighth Wall and Niantic that I'd love to know <laughs> uh, and, and hear about so that I can, you know, better be prepared for, for some of these. Like, what are you doing with OpenXR and, and WebXR and how to enable the things that you do with Pokemon Go on, on devices like this and Quest 3 and Apple Vision Pro kind of things. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think a lot of uh, a lot of what Denise just said resonates a lot uh, for me. Also, if I think about how I got here, like it it might sound it might sound intentional when I like talk about like sort of the progression. But like I've been so many instances where I think I was just really lucky to be in the right place at the right time and have things I'm interested in sort of line up with opportunities that were opening. I think the XR space is still very nascent. So it's very much still coming into being and I think the easiest way to talk about this with folks that aren't as interested in the space is anyone who is old enough to remember like using the internet for the first time, like when the internet was first becoming a thing in the early mid nineties and what that felt like and like how, how crazy that was. And I think it was also at a time when like the technology was still getting figured out. There were a lot of websites that were just like there, but they weren't really doing anything useful. Um, and if we then think about like what Denise and I work on, it's almost like the analogy I'll often use when talking about the space is Denise and I are basically building a like a, a web a web hosting service or a website creator service in the year 1990 when most people don't even know what the internet is or how they should be using it. It's like why am I, why don't I just read the newspaper or watch TV? Um, I think that's basically where we are today. And like really, there is if anything, there is a dearth of content and a dearth of things that have been built with it. Yeah. But in this case. Technology has to solve some of those problems, but it can't solve all of those problems. Yeah, you know, I, I'm a. We at the library have a Hololens number thirty-five that came off of the assembly line wow. that went out to the general public. So yeah, I we've been trying to keep the public immersed and caught up on the cutting edge stuff here. But you guys are both like, like you said, you're the engineers behind this, making it happen so that I can just show it off, and that's. That's where the next question is, is what do you want to show off? What is your thing that you, I mean, like, I'm going to get to what your dream equipment type thing is later. But first, I want to know, what would you want to show off now that would help somebody understand, look, this is a taste of what's coming? I can, I'm happy to take a swing at it uh, and then I'll pass it to Denise. Uh, I think... For me, just with my, like, I've always been really fascinated with with maps and like being able to do things with physical locations. And 
if you take a, a picture of a place, you can sort of use that as the basis to draw like a concept sketch of what, what would it look like for this event. Um, with, with augmented reality and with the tools that we have today, there's really cool things you can do with taking a space and like creating a model of a space very easily just with everyday tools, like whatever phone you have, uh, and then turning that into a space that you can augment and do something with it in AR. You could augment it and do something with it in VR or XR or mixed reality. Uh, there's all sorts of like cool experiences. Like some of my favorite things I've seen are like people do with AR today are building exhibits that take a, a place in the real world, like, you know, Times Square or like Leicester Square in London and turn that into like a time capsule where you walk through a portal and you can see what it looked like 100 years ago or 500 years ago. Um, I think doing things like that is really powerful because it can actually be a shared experience out in the real world. And you can like still like smell the air and like hear the sounds, but it's a totally different view of that space. Um, so I think changing locations to show history, I think is really interesting as one example. How about it, Denise? What do you think we should be handing to people to say, here, do this? It's so it's it's weird, right? Not weird. It's so weird. Me, no, trust me, what, it's weird. It is weird. For me, what I do is I bring my HoloLens to whenever I go to mm -hmm. an event at a school or to a hackathon with students. And we did this thing for for the with the Marlins uh, for Marlins Steam Day, the library or Miami Dade County Public Library. No, we were there too. I was yeah, down the hall. I, yeah, I, I swear you were there. <laughs> Uh, and what is it's it's hard to describe it like you can explain it to people and then when they put it on and they have that jaw drop yeah. moment it's yeah. like am i really seeing yeah. like an orbital sphere in mm -hmm. front of me and like i can interact with it and it yeah. does things i i it's think that oh yeah yeah, that's when I, you I know they've actually seen what you're supposed to, what you want them to see. Yeah. Yes. Cause I can explain it all day. We can have this conversation and people are like, yeah, 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 XR, XR. And then they put it on, they're like, wait, this this is actually really different. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like we can talk about the internet, like Tori's example earlier of like 1990s and logging into American online and talk about chat rooms and stuff like that. But then when you actually connect your germodum and dialed out at 2500 than 24k <laughs> or, or, or 9600k. Uh, I, I, yeah, I was on a Commodore 64 doing that. Phone. It was insane. Yeah, it, it was awful, right? It was it was amazing. But then it's like, then you talk yeah. to people and then you're like, and then you can search and then you're like, wait, I can find information in new ways. I, it, it's hard to express to people to go and search and play with these things, right? Even like the work that Tori does with or that the, the Niantic and Tori's company does with Pokemon Go and all these things, people kind of take for granted their games on your phone, but there's like amazing technology behind the scenes that enables that. Um, people are using AR every day and they don't know it. Every single time you take a, a camera image and now all those wonderful wrinkles are, are gone, you know, those are filters that are, they're taking, they're taking physical content and they're overlaying digital layers to smooth out and make everything nice and pretty. And people are using the technology and they don't know. They just It just happens seamlessly mm -hmm. underneath. But I think for me, what I'd love for people is this is coming, right? How do you become the creator of this? How do you produce for this? How do you become the next PayPal, right? PayPal didn't exist until the internet. And all of a sudden somebody like, 
wait, online banking. And banks are like, hell no, like that's so unsecure. But then here comes PayPal and lo- allows people to share money um, in a whole new way, right? And that company made tons of money. So like exposing people and getting them to see and feel what's coming so that they can be better prepared for that future. Yeah. Tori, how was your, speaking of maps, I want semi-technical question for the people who are paying, who know more about it, I guess. How are you actually identifying in, in a smart city type of way when I'm walking down the street, showing my phone, showing my headset, and I'm able to look at a tree and it identifies that it's an oak tree and or whatever for me. What kind of processing stuff are you doing just in general terms, not nothing specific, but just are you really doing it on device? Or are you doing it out in the cloud? And explain that to people what that difference means. Great question. And just like raise a finger or something if I've gone off the deep end. Um, so we got another hour. Don't worry. Yeah. So <laughs> a couple of different, couple of different types of problems that you described there. So one is like, like pointing your phone at a tree and your phone tells you that's an oak tree is a slightly different problem than the problem I work on. Because the problem I'm working on is like, not only do we know that it's an oak tree, but we tell you it's this specific oak tree and this is the exact place that you are. And this is exactly the point. Yeah, that smart city where this is, you know where you are just by pointing a phone. So um, the basis of like how we decide, like what, what locations do we want to map is actually rooted in what we were talking about a few minutes ago and like really starts with the community of people that have the most engagement with us today is our players. So that largely informs the locations that we try to build. Uh, so we have a, a large community of hundreds of thousands of players that are also passionate about mapping. And they actually, it's called the Wayfair community. And they actually nominate locations that matter to them and their communities uh, that are conducive to our mission of shared exploration. And through a, a sort of a group uh, like consensus process, they decide which locations should be part of the game board and which locations should not be. It's almost like uh, if Wikipedia were a map, that's what it is. Um, and that is the basis of like the locations that are in our games, which are also the locations where we have the most data and therefore the locations that have the most pertinence for the people that interact with our map. Uh, and then if you want to build AR content that is also persistent, meaning that it, it can stay in place and multiple people can see it at different times, in different places, uh, then we have to build a model a computer vision model of what that location looks like so that when you are consuming the experience, we can tell you and we know exactly where you are and what you're looking at so that we draw augmented things on the screen that they show up and interact with the environment the way a human would expect at that location. And the compute that makes that possible can happen in the cloud or it can happen on device. It sort of depends on the application, uh, which method you want to use. Phyllis and Denise, how does that tie in with the very cool headsets? Because there's a difference in between using your phone and using a headset. And if you haven't done, come to Broward County Libraries, we can show you the difference. But when you're looking at it from your side of things, Denise, as a, as a creator, what are you thinking about for that? So there's really, in, in the nitty gritty, there's really not much difference between a phone and one of these headsets, right? The difference is I have a see-through display that sits on my face and I don't have to hold it in front of me and look at the display and, you know, put my arm out. You know, essentially it's the same, conceptually, it's the same thing. It's a bunch of sensors, cameras, some internet connectivity, 
um, and some kind of display to show you what it's doing and some kind of input technology, right? On the input on your phone is swiping or voice texting, mostly swiping. This is the input. Input on a headset is gestures. It's your voice. Um, it's objects. It, this objects could also be an input. So underlying, like what Tori was talking about, maps, um, you're still taking pictures of your environment and you're trying to locate those pictures either through GPS, through triangulation on um, cellular networks or through, you know, a Wi-Fi hotspot or a Bluetooth identifier, right? You're, you're taking pictures, you're trying to figure out where you are, and then you're taking those pictures, putting them in an algorithm and trying to analyze context out of those pictures, depending on the application. It could be, well, like you said, for trees. What tree is this? Well, Denise's in Pembroke Pines in South Florida. It's one of these palm trees, likely this one, because that's what it looks like, because we know all these things about Denise and the picture that she just took and where she's located. So contextually, the it doesn't really change from phone to headset. It's just you have different opportunities or more input capabilities. And a lot of the stuff is being pushed to the cloud. Basically, the cloud is just somebody else's computer. <laughs> so it's somebody else's computer that's sitting there doing all this complicated math, either on images or on voice or like some input that it was given. And it's outputting something and giving that feedback back to the computer. It's just in the cloud. So you got a lot more of them. <laughs> yeah, it is my favorite quote, too. I have, oh, yeah. I have where the cloud is someone else's computer. The cloud is just someone else's computer. <laughs> yeah, 100%. <laughs> so now yeah. I want to draw this back to more your personal experiences. Who helped you get started on this? And, and, and the flip side of the coin, not naming any names on the second half, who do you, what would you have liked to have help better at? Where, who, who could have mentored you not as a person, but what could you have gotten as a mentor to help you get started in the field? I mean, we all not, I'm doing a whole episode just on women in tech later on this year, because we all know that there's a lot of stuff, people that need to be brought into the field. But for both of you, how, what was that starting point? What was that? Who was the mentor for you that helped you get started? I, I, I can start. Um, like I said, my dad was an engineer and he's like, Denise, you like math and you can solve problems. Like you just can't go wrong with electrical engineering. I mean, even Fortune 500 CEOs, the majority of them are engineers of some kind, right? Cause you can, you know, and, and it's just been that, you know, on, on steroids. But from the perspective of XR, when I first joined Magic Leap, I didn't know anything, nothing, I mean, head tracking, eye tracking, hand tracking, computer vision. What the heck is computer vision and machine learning and and algorithms and all of these other things? And there's really nowhere, like in 2015, there's no Google search that, that would give you that information. Believe me, I tried. Um, there is no one person. There's a lot of people that I would go to and ask questions. I would attend a lot of like things that had nothing to do with my function in the company so that I could learn from other people. Um, there was, they were doing a developer relations. I'd never cracked open unity in my life. So we had a developer, they called them evangelist at the time. And I love those people. And the, you know, Microsoft calls them advocates, cloud advocates, 
Sometimes they call them DevOps, developer relations, developer evangelists. I love those people. Those are my favorite people in the world. They're like the artsy kids, but then they're also super smart. So they can take really complicated things and just like say them in word in English <laughs> like, or show you, which is even better. Um, so there's a few developer evangelists that I just, I love. They're every other, like, oh, um, oh my God, what's her name? Starts with a T. Tracy? Trisha, Trisha Katz. I'm like, oh, oh okay, Trisha's yeah. gonna be there. Oh, I'm gonna go. I don't, I don't care what she's talking about. I'm just gonna go listen to her talk um, about this stuff. And I learned a lot from them and kind of following uh, what they were doing. And then just like, they're really great at making tutorials. You know, like she had this strategy for how do you learn Unity? And she called it Hello Cube, and it's Hello Cube for 30 days. So every single day, you just like you start with like day one, open up Unity and drop a cube in the middle, and you're done, right? Day two, like take a cube and make it do something different, change its color, you're done. You know, day three, you know, you change its color, now make it spin a little, or like add gravity or add this. And like by day 30, like you just like done all these things, just, you know, starting with a primitive cube. And, uh, you know, you learn that you learn how to use unity. And so I was like, that's so simple. Like, why don't people tell you to do this? Or why don't more people tell you to do this? Tori, what kind of help do you wish you would have had? Uh, yeah, so I guess going back to sort of the, the genesis of being interested in maps, it goes back a long time. And I think I definitely was encouraged a lot by like my parents to focus on like math and science uh, in school, but I also loved history. And it was actually specifically a history teacher that gave us an open-ended assignment to just like draw a simple map of some conflict that happened. I think it was actually um, one of the compromises leading up to the Civil War in the United States, like okay. the Compromise of 1850 or something like that. Draw a map of that. And I went completely like off the reservation and spent like probably six or seven hours making this really detailed map. And he was so like uh, excited that someone like was passionate about it, um, that he really encouraged me to like really lean into that. And Ever since then, I've always like found like maps as like my favorite way to tell a story. Uh, any, so any you're story drawing that... the maps of when you're reading the novel, you're drawing the map if it's not. Oh, yeah. Anymore. And I was I will spend a very long time looking at the map of like Middle Earth uh, from like Lord oh, of the Rings, for example. Um, and I, I've got all of the, the yeah. mapping books of it and Pern yeah. and yeah. And like, honestly, the thing that I was very late to learn about is a lot of the open source community. Um, there are so many incredible tools out there that are made by other people that that love maps and just love open source. And they love it so much that they don't charge for it. They just give it away and put it on the Internet. So there, there's a whole bunch of different tools that I found not until like my 20s for doing basic stuff like just vector graphics editing uh, or if you actually want to do it the right way using like GIS, so geographic information systems tools. Uh, that's also really exciting. Like the company I worked at for a while, Mapbox, is built on top of OpenStreetMap, which is a giant open source data collective that every probably every single person listening to this podcast has used OSM data before and doesn't even know it because it's just free and it's very good. Um, so I think that's another community and set of tools that I wish I had discovered, you know, about 20 years earlier. That is. I, I have to say cool. on the map thing, um, my favorite, like, I love maps. I do too. Like, so Game of Thrones, like my favorite is the opening where you start yep. seeing all the castles <laughs> and where they're geographically located. Like, that is so brilliant. Like, I never fast forward through that end, that opening because you always see something new. Like, oh my God, that was so cool. I, 
I never called it maps, but I do a lot of diagramming. Like when I don't understand how something works, I start drawing pictures and I guess that is a map, right? Well, mm -hmm. this is the camera sensor and then this is the display and then this is, you know, this is the, 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 the processor that's receiving the signal, but then here's my code. And like at the end of the day, I do have kind of, I never called it a map, but a diagram, but essentially it's the same thing. I just, yeah, it definitely I just put is. Two and two together. So tell me, what do you two th think, how does society think of what you're doing? Because you both have made this very, at least to me, this is very simple, easy to understand. This is why, what we're doing in XR. This is why I do XR. What do you think society thinks of it though, about what XR really is? and what you're doing in the field. I'll tell you what my mom says. What do you what do you do, Denise? I have no idea. And then I'll put it on here and she's like, so what? <laughs> my mom is society, right? That's that's like yeah. my litmus test. I mean, there's all like the, the, the I don't know, the two or 3% of the world, like Tori and myself that are just like all giddy about like all the technology and we can just like go like, you know, I'm sure Tori mm -hmm. and I would both go have coffee somewhere and just like, just go crazy uh, in conversation. But I think people don't know yet until there is a killer app or that killer use case, right? Pokemon Go and games are great, right? But those are, the gaming community is just, you know, this portion, you know, 30%, 20% of our population and certain age groups and demographics, right? We're still missing that killer application that it's like, uh, when when I was at Magic Leap, our CEO Roni he called it the the five mile rule. You will not leave your house if you are for, away from your house, five miles away. You will turn around and go back and go get your thing, like your cell phone, right? There's no way I am leaving. If I am five miles away, I will go back and get my cell phone. You know, wherever I am, I will stop my car and I will charge my cell phone. You know, or find a charger or whatever, because you know you kind of have gotten into the place where you can't live without this computer that's just available to you, you know, and answer questions and give you connectivity and connect you with family and friends and allow you to store information. Um, so, you know, we're not there yet on XR. So most people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, it looks cool. But, you know, for a, a, a person who's a server at a restaurant, it absolutely makes no difference. A person who works um, at a Walmart or a Walgreens, it absolutely makes no difference to their lives or how they interact or it to make their lives better yet, right? We're, we're working on it. We're trying to make that usability, that scalability, that feasibility, accessibility there. Yeah, I think uh, my perspective is like, AR or XR is is like a lot of um, nascent technologies. There's a lot of hype, um, and it was really built up. It was built up in a really huge way, like not unlike crypto. <laughs> uh, and we are, I mean, we've had a lot of disillusionment. I think like a lot of this peaked in 2021 when Facebook rebranded as Meta. Um, and I think I don't. I wouldn't really call that a mis a misconception. I think it's justified because it's been hyped up so much and it is it is there's so many companies out there including our companies uh that are really really believe this world is going to happen and are trying to invent a future before the people that really need to build the experiences are fully bought in and certainly before the audience is bought in yeah. um, and that's why like i like the internet uh analogy um but in terms of an actual misconception i think uh there's probably some fear um if you've 
if you've read or seen like Ready Player One, that like that world is like very insular and will, like make us all just like sit in our trailers and like plug in. Um, our hope is that that world will also be like, if we're talking about augmented reality, be a world where people like go out and have experiences that are based on location. Um, and also that means like having other things that happen that are based on where you are rather than just based on your search history. Um, yeah. And I think there there is a lot of potential there for like a, a different paradigm of how we interact with each other. And I think that's I think that's like the um, the more optimistic view on on spatial computing. Um, but I think there's. I like it. It's a good. I like that yeah. vision. Yeah. I think honestly, a lot more. There's probably more misconceptions uh, that we have as people working on it, where we are sort of have the curse of knowledge and we know what it's supposed to be like. And we sometimes forget that like there's still the 99% of people that are not convinced yet. And like we need those people for this is not going to be a fun <laughs> ride. Yeah. 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 So like, let's, I mean, talking about location-based experiences, right? The technology is starting to become more prevalent. I think down here in South Florida, there was, oh my gosh, it's a plug for Dania Beach and downtown Fort Lauderdale. Dakota? Had, no, not the Dakota, but they had this immersive light show, right? Oh. And so they had uh, projection mapping with holograms and all sorts mm -hmm. of things coming into activities, right? And in Miami, they're super blue. There was yeah. the Van Gogh experience um, that, that you know, you can see Van Gogh's paintings moving in real life. Um, and there's a lot of it per permeating in the arts and location-based experiences where you can, the vision of what mixed reality could be, like the thing that Tori and I are, are really excited about, is brought together because a lot of people are willing to produce that high value experience because it is a production like putting together a play or creating a movie uh so it, it it's there like the technology is there in, in so many aspects but it is a heavy lift you know someone like my mom you know she can't live without her phone i mean she's on yeah. she's on freaking facebook right so the technology for her for people like her is very you know it's very mature, right? Cell phones have been around since, you know, the 80s, right? Yeah. There have been smartphones since 2000 and 2005, 2006, 2007, 2008. Everyone called the iPhone, right? But Motorola was first to market <laughs> with all of that stuff, right? Our, our people, you know, yeah. we were we were first. It's just Apple. I was, on a palm. I was on Palm forever. It was great. Yeah. It was great. Apple made it cool. Apple made this, the interface better. That's what they did. They taught us about user interface, user experience, and kind of changed the paradigm. We're not quite there yet. Design language. Oh, everyone, I don't know about you, Tori. Oh, well, you talked about that that review on the Apple Vision Pro from uh, from Verge. I, I started. I was watching it earlier. I, I got about mm -hmm. halfway through. It's like twenty five yeah. minutes long, and it's like this guy really knows what he's talking about. Yeah, uh, but it, that's, it is a really good, well done. Yeah. I guess We're I should actually here. go find that and put it into the chat. Yeah. We're actually waiting to see what happens, right? We're all waiting to see if Apple, you know. And I Apple's thought it was hilarious. And you being AR. here, Denise, makes it really good. Right. They're mm -hmm. calling it calling a special computing. I'm like, huh, I know what that term means. I know yeah. the company that, that started using that, that term. term. <laughs> Magically, the, mixed reality is Microsoft's yeah. branded strategy. Yeah. Meta is known around virtual reality, right? And so Apple's like, I'm not AR or VR or XR. Tori dropped spatial computing a little while ago too, yeah. right? And it's now it's like, that's the ethos because, you know, that's what Apple is calling it. And, and 
it's what it is, right? It's it's mm-hmm. just another computer. It's a it's a face computer. So, um, s- at- speaking of this here, Deuce, let me bring you in on this. What is the ultimate, the coolest bit of gear? What's what's the your dream piece of gear, dream technology that? Sh- Maybe it's not a piece of gear. Maybe it's just a technology type thing that either of you want. And I'm going to say you can't say batteries because, yes, that is ultimately the thing we all need is batteries that are super small and last forever. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> physics, I just don't know, will allow us to have that. So give us something else. What do you want? What's the technology? What's the cool thing that's like your ultimate goal for the future? That gets us to that killer app that gets us to, I don't, I don't know if it's ultimate, but like, I think a couple of things that we need to solve are one, we have to solve the original Google glass problem where anytime you're wearing that piece of hardware, everyone thinks that you're not paying attention to them or that you're looking at something like that you shouldn't be looking at. Uh, so being able to, uh, use that technology and still interact with other people and not like be in a bubble. Um, I think is a big problem to solve. I I think another one that comes to mind is just overall comfort. Um, What Denise pointed out earlier about like, this is not an ideal experience and like no one wants to do this for a long period of time. Uh, Honestly, like even something as like at the bleeding edge, like the Apple Vision Pro uh, is not comfortable enough to wear for a very long period of time, especially if you're out and about during your day. So if we're ever going to get the play, to a place where like we move from this to like glasses, then I think the just the general ergonomics of what your everyday life is going to feel like with that device uh, really needs to be like improved in a dramatic way. I, I think, you know, rather than saying the glasses form factor, because that's really like that's the that's the meta, right? It's it's just a pair of glasses. You can go buy them at Walmart. You log in with your account. And at voila, you have your spatial computer available to you, you know, whether you, you drop them in the living room or the or the kitchen or you left them in your car, it doesn't matter because it's just like it's just another doodad that you have. Um, it's the nanotechnology that makes those pass through displays is really complicated. The reason why Apple went after um, they did the pass through display, which means that. You're, it's not a transparent display. What they're doing is they're taking pictures of your environment, passing them through, and displaying them in front of you, so that it feels like you're in the like you're in the physical environment, but you're really not, right? The the Hololens has the the liquid crystal and silicon. That's this little guy right here, and 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 so does the Magic Leap. That's the true beautiful technology, right? You can see the world. Whether you want the holograms, you don't want the holograms, it's there. But the field of view is awful. Right. The experiences get clipped. You know, you can see the edges. Um, and it, even with the Apple Vision Pro, the guy was complaining that it kind of looks like you're looking through a tunnel. It's not a full, crisp, complete field of view display. So the killer technology I would want is the ability to make these displays gigantic, the size of a building even. Right. To have like any surface could have this transparent display technology. And and like now they have those TVs that I saw on CES where like they're either you can you can drop a back they you can put a back background black background on it and you see like the beautiful OLED displays but then you can drop it down and you still got a display but now it's transparent. Um, that's a technology that will allow us to get to the glasses form factor and then even allow us any surface to be a holographic computing surface. Um, like you know and so like. 
you see Iron Man without, you know, you see uh, Tony Stark doing the thing, but he's doing it in the air and he doesn't have glasses on, right? That's like the thing I want. But, you know, maybe you could do that with displays. So you don't have to have the glasses. The cameras are just in the room and they're seeing where your hands are and the gestures are, and everything is just happening and you can interact with it. But it could be glasses. It could be, you know, a bracelet that you wear around your hand or it's a bracelet they wear like, okay, sorry. Now I'm going kind of crazy. <laughs> that's good. But that's good. That's good. Okay. That's so good. now my question for you is you guys have both had really good successes. That's why you're here. We know you guys are high up there in the field. I want to hear what you failed at and how you recovered. What did you do with that failure? I'll, I'll give you a failure story. And how I made it into Magic Leap was not the way I thought I, I, I would have made it, right? I think I spent a very good portion of the first 15, I call it my first you know, quarter of my career, which was the 15 years at Motorola. I worked very hard, but I did not build any relationships. I did not nurture friendships. I did not nurture relationships. I just, I did what I was asked. And then I went above and beyond that to deliver value uh, in my team, but I never expanded beyond that. And so in 2014, they shut down operations down here and the, the 200 of or so of us were left, you know, we're looking for jobs. And I had heard about Magic Leap and they had a job just like, you know, what I was doing at Motorola. And I'm like, well, everybody I know is there and therefore they should hire me because they know the value that I delivered. And that team did not hire me. And it was kind of kind of existential, demoralizing, soul crushing in, in many aspects. Uh, and I ended up going to through a different door into, into a whole new team, like into the software side. I didn't even go into manufacturing. I went into the software side of, of, of Magic Leap. And it was, you know, it was the worst thing that happened and the best thing that happened to me because it it's like, you know, this Denise is gonna be different. This Denise is gonna start clubs. This Denise is gonna, we started, I started an Android club. I started a robotics club. I started all these like internal affairs things. I started the women's resource group and like, I was, I knew everybody, like I knew everybody, everybody knew me. I like, I did my job and I did, you know, I delivered that and I delivered, you know, plus some, but the extra, extra, I didn't do that for that role. I did that everywhere else. And so when I was left, you know, wandering again uh, in 2020, cause magically failed to close their funding round and they fired half of us and I was yeah. in that half. And it was very binary. It, it wasn't about who you knew. It's like, were you touching Magically 2? No, you're not touching Magically 2. You're gone. And so it was not about playing favorites. There was nothing that would have saved me. But within a week, I was able to find a job at Microsoft in the middle of a pandemic in March of 2020. And that's just because of all the connections that I had built. Um, so connections, your network. You know, yeah, it was a failure on my part to see how valuable relationships are. Um, and think that just working hard is, is enough. It's just not in that aspect. You still have to work hard, uh, but you know, you also have to build those relationships. Tell us, Tori, bear your soul to us and tell us what was the <laughs> failure that happened? It's a great question. So, uh, the, the failure I had, that was also a great lesson, uh, was going back to 2017. Um, and, 
was working at a small startup building a fleet of self-driving cars in Silicon Valley. And we wanted to have the first autonomous, uh, the first autonomous ride hailing ride in California is what we wanted to do. Um, so I went down the path of trying to get legally certified to do this, um, which requires working with a government agency called uh -huh. UC. Um, which they're in charge of like, if you see like a, a black car for the airport that has like a, a special number, which means they're authorized to pick people up from certain parts of the airport, basically working with that same agency to get permission for a autonomous vehicle to do that same type of thing. Um, and this was very much a case of really wanting to, to solve a technology problem for technology's sake in a way that didn't fully contemplate the way the world works and what people really want, including thinking about like, what is the government going to think about this? And if you've been following like just what's happened in just the city of like San Francisco or just in California over the past like six months, there are a lot of examples of like, hey, like this whole self-driving craze is still not something that society is super excited about. Um, and just because the technology can do something doesn't mean the technology should, and it doesn't mean it's going to be welcomed by everyone. So it was very, um, we never got the permission because they weren't convinced that it was safe, that it was doing anything valuable. And it certainly uh, wasn't something that was compelling for the licensing agencies. Like, wow, what a great opportunity for us. Like, no, I just, I don't understand how is this going to help anything? Um, so I think the, the humbling lesson there is like if you are working on a brand new technology, like even if the technology works perfectly, you still have to think about like how accepting is society of the shift if this is a society changing type of thing. I think that applies a lot to the conversation we've been having today. Like uh, I think the stuff that that Denise is working on and the stuff that I'm working on are like fascinating and there's so many cool problems that we've already solved, but we still can't lose sight of like, are we solving the right problems for society? at the end of the day, or it's not going to be something that like lasts for a long time. Yeah. I, I want to add a little to that. Like, are it. we solving the right problems? And I think that is a question that I find challenging in the ethos of, you know, Fortune 500 companies and big companies, right? At the end of the day, their goal is to make money. And so there's certain areas where investments are prioritized because the return on investment is way higher. And one of the areas, like my passion area is education, right? When I first put on a headset in the, that, ma that Magic Leap headset, and I was like, oh my God, this would have made my life with vectors and physics so much easier. Like I would have understood, you know, 3D multivariable calculus I couldn't like I could do the equation, right? I couldn't draw the shape and then let alone draw the 3D version of that shape. Like that was like, I mean, everything was 90% because the last 10% was drawing the damn graph. I couldn't do it. I like in my mind that didn't work. And the thing that I sucked at is called spatial reasoning. And spatial reasoning can be taught. And these technologies are perfect for teaching this. But Bringing the technology into education is hard. It's difficult. There's so many barriers, privacy concerns, applications, and so it's and even into the and I'm sure you 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 suffer that in the library a lot, right? There's yeah. challenges yeah. integrating it, you know, repeat updating the software, 
licensing user account, all these stupid little things, oh, right? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, that that is the thing that's driving me nuts right now. Is I I know as all the media hype gets going, and the new Vision Pro from Apple is going to be out there, and everybody's going to be like, Bob, you do cutting edge. I want to get a hold of this, and I'm like, sorry, Apple doesn't allow us to do that. Can't use their mm -hmm. gear here in the library. We're not allowed to. So yeah. That's that's the thing. Are that's my dream thing there. Instead of batteries, let's, let's swap over to that. They're totally free, open source. I don't have to worry about terms of service. Yeah, that would be awesome. That libraries that would be show off your stuff. Yeah, that would be awesome. And that's the thing. Are we solving the right problems? Yeah. Like Tori, Tori hit the nail on the head on that one. And that's the thing that, you know, if I could spend the rest of my career focusing on fixing is, is bridging that barrier between technology and education and like putting education first, right? Because how can you expect to make the workforce of the future if they're the last, you know, to actually get the technology that's here today right now? Yeah. <laughs> you guys are awesome at wrapping this up for us. <laughs> Thank you both so much for being here and spending all this time with us and talking about this topic. I put both of your LinkedIn into the show notes so that if anybody wants to reach out, feel free or reach out to me here at creationstation at broward.org. We will hit that subscribe button and, and come back and watch our other shows here. And we will see everybody next month. Have a great time. Thanks so much.